with me in your Bibles or your find your bulletin insert that has our passage printed upon it found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians the fourth chapter it's not every Lord's Day that the choir's anthem speaks so well to the passage but this one today certainly did we want to read verses 1 through 8 and verses 11 through 16 so let us Read the word of God together. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, as you can tell from the sermon's title... And from the children's story, we are talking about spiritual growth today. And it sounds like our children are well-educated, that they already know many of the things that it takes for us to grow in our spiritual lives. I think that this is a neglected topic in the church that we perhaps don't talk about it as much as we should. I know it's probably not preached about as much as it should be. I'm not going to talk about from every pastor's standpoint, but from my standpoint, I don't preach on this topic as much as I should. Why aren't we taught about spiritual growth? I mean, why isn't there a spiritual growth index chart out there in the connector with each of our names attached to it so that we can keep up with our progress or lack thereof? 
Well, I don't know about you, but I know why I think pastors hesitate to talk about it from the pulpit. Perhaps we're afraid that you'll point the finger back at us and say, how can you preach to us about spiritual growth and how can you stand in the pulpit and and belittle our level of Christian maturity when you haven't given us anything of of a concrete nature Uh, that we can take home and apply in our daily lives. You haven't taught us how to grow spiritually. And maybe we haven't taught you how to grow spiritually because we don't know ourselves. That's one way we could look at it, and yet we should know, shouldn't we? We as pastors, if anyone should know, because the Word of God has all kinds of passages found therewith that talk about uh, what it means to be a child in the faith and what it means to be mature. And as someone who studies God's Word and proclaims God's Word, one would think that a pastor would know how to grow spiritually. Another reason we pastors should know is because we've been to seminary, right? Wrong. You know, that's what many of us think as we enter seminary. We think that theological education is the ultimate answer to the challenge of spiritual growth and Christian maturity, that that all of this learning that we, we find in seminary will make a pastor all that he should be. Keith Miller, a Christian author and lecturer, describes what it was like for him when he entered seminary as a young man, he said, I felt that a minister should know God so well that when he he came into someone's home, he could almost sit down quietly and open his soul in such a way that God's love in his life would create a real hunger for reality in the souls of the other people there and lead them to God too. But he says, everywhere I found that people wanted to intellectualize the good news. Now he's talking about his seminary experience. They wanted to make it conceptual. Or they wanted to make it propositional. And in any case, they wanted to stay away from personal confrontation. He says, I was repelled by the lack of gut level engagement with the problems of the rawness of living out one's days and nights as a businessman, as a husband, and as a citizen. I felt that we were dealing with the awesome God of Moses and the intellectual power of the Greeks, but nowhere did I see the personal redeeming God of Jesus Christ. And as you can imagine, Keith Miller left seminary after the first two years a depressed and dejected individual and his life continued to get worse and worse until one day he began to weep like a child. And he related that suddenly he realized that he was just a child on the inside. He went to God in prayer gave his will over to God, and then he began to see that he had not seen Jesus Christ at seminary 
because he had never known God personally. And I think that's one of the reasons we have such a challenge with spiritual growth and Christian maturity. Because we oftentimes in the church try so hard to learn about God, to learn about Jesus, to learn about the Holy Spirit, to learn about God's Word, that we forget to learn to know God. Not just know about Him, but know Him and know Jesus and know the Holy Spirit and know His Word. We forget to put as much effort into the relationship with God as we do in trying to find out about Him. Spiritual growth takes hard work. A lot of effort goes into building our relationship with God because if you think about it, in your own relationships, those people who are close friends of yours, a lot of hard work has gone into those relationships. Hasn't it? I mean, don't you care for one another? Don't you call one another? Don't you support and encourage one another? If there's a death in their family, aren't you there with something to eat and a shoulder to cry on? I mean, if you think back about the friendships that we have with people and we're close to them, a lot of effort has gone into it. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. Now these gifts of Christ that we read about in our passage of Scripture just a few moments ago were given, we're told, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we can see why these gifts were given. It's there in verse 14. The words so that are your clues so that we may no longer be children. God wants us to grow. He wants us to study. He wants us to to practice, to discipline ourselves. And there are a lot of reasons for this, but one is that a few memories of Sunday school lessons will not bring us through the cares and concerns, the, the heartache and anguish of life in a fallen world. I mean, just like... Uh, This Roach family went through this week in our community. You know, they went through the Memorial Day weekend and and were fine as a family. And the next thing you know, on Monday, that young son is dead. And you know, just remembering a few Sunday school lessons is not going to bring you and me through a time and a tragedy like that. And not only that, but the Christian faith is not like learning to ride a bicycle where once you have it, it stays with you for the rest of your life. It may appear that way, but there's more than just salvation. There's more than just that one-time act of justification to the Christian life. There's also sanctification. That's a process. That's where, where we're being more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Paul, as did Jesus, preached a very simple faith in the cross and the resurrection, but that simple faith has 
dimensions of height and depth. Paul's letters are not easy reading, as Scripture teaches us. The author of Hebrews understands this challenge. He teaches his readers in chapter 5 that Jesus is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But then he goes on to say this toward the end of that fifth chapter. He says, About this we have much to say which is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of God's Word. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the Word of righteousness, for he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their faculties trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Did you pick up on that active language there at the end? Who have their faculties trained by practice, trained by practice to distinguish between good and evil. This means we need to spend time in God's Word. Remember, this is one of the emphases of our revitalization process, basic Bible. And that doesn't mean that we know just a few basic facts about the Bible. It means that we have basic Bible ingrained in our hearts and our minds, that we not only have some verses memorized, that we not only know which books are Old Testament and New, but that we also know how the whole thing fits together and how there's one great thread of salvation from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that the whole Scripture preaches Jesus Christ and God's love unto His world and unto you and me through Him. Basic Bible. A Christian without daily or at least several times a week contact with the Bible and without continuous growth and understanding of its meaning will soon find his or her faith withering away. Now this is the truth. You know, if you don't spend time in the Word, you're not going to be here 20 years from now. You may still be alive, but you're not going to be in God's house worshiping Him because you have to stay connected to the vine. And part of that staying connected is being connected to His Word and His will for us. Do you ever think about why people leave the church? You know, pollsters tell us that the college-age crowd pretty much leaves the church. Not all of them, but a great percentage. But it's been my experience over the years that there's another crowd that leaves the church, and that's the 40 to 65-year-old group. I mean, people that used to be here, people who used to be sitting beside you in the pews. They were Sunday school teachers. They were deacons. They were active with the young people. They were active in women's work. 
But where are they today and, and why aren't they here? Well, last week's sermon may have something to say to this about the, you know, we were talking about how Paul talks about how the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. We deliver, those of us in the church, the promises of God with words, but we don't always demonstrate them with our lives. People don't see the power of God reflected in our daily living, and so the church becomes one more place for them that disappoints. And it doesn't take too many disappointments until they're gone. You see, that's one way to look at it. In other words, it's our fault that they're not here because they don't see the power of God at work in our lives each day. Our kingdom is more about talk than about power. Or it may be their fault. It may be that they haven't been trained by practice as the writer of Hebrews speaks about in his fifth chapter. It may be that they forgot that the word discipleship has as its root the idea of discipline. It may be that they failed to work at their relationship with God. Even something as simple as as daily Bible reading is an important part of growing spiritually because it involves God's will. How can we grow in our relationship if we don't know what God's counsel and advice are in our daily living and then implement that? How are we going to grow if we don't know what He teaches us? In fact, Scripture itself tells us that it gives us everything we need to carry out what God has called us to do. Did you know that about the Bible? It tells us that about itself. It it gives us everything we need to carry out everything God has called us to do. We find it in 2 Corinthians 3.16. Very famous passage of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, train, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for what? Can you fill in the blank? Equipped for every good work. Not just equipped for some good works, equipped for every single good work. That's what Scripture can do. And our prayer lives are just as important. We've talked about this a great deal lately, and so I won't belabor it other than to say that prayer should be part of who we are and what we do every day so that prayer becomes a natural response. We were just talking about this a couple of three weeks ago. Prayer needs to be a natural response. It needs to be part of who we are so that if something good happens, we just automatically throw up a prayer of praise. If something terrible happens, some tragedy, we automatically stop and begin to pray. That's when it becomes a part of who we are. 
Surely this is part of what Paul means when he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray constantly, giving thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How can we build a relationship with God unless we talk to Him as well as listen to what He has to say? After all, we are His children. That's what Scripture teaches us. We're His children and children want to and need to speak with and see their dad. Well, we've talked some about Christian maturity on the individual level, but this passage takes an interesting twist in that Christian maturity is envisioned in the communal sense As well, Paul says that by both speaking and carrying out the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Jesus Christ from whom the entire body upbuilds itself in love. And the plural we in this verse becomes very important a plural subject. It goes back to the principle that when we speak of Christian maturity, even on the individual level, it's always under the broader umbrella of the body of Christ. We want to grow up into Christ as an entire congregation, as a group of believers because He supplies us with the grace and with the strength and with the guidance to do so. The increase of the church depends in part on our development and spiritual growth as individuals, but also in part on our ability to work together because the entire body becomes more than just the sum of its individual members. You understand what I mean by that? Forgive me for using a car illustration. I know I do that too much. You know what my hobby is. You know, a car is a wonderful thing. A car is a great conveyance. It can take us down the highway at at 70 miles an hour. It can keep us cool when it's hot outside. It can keep us warm when it's cold outside. It can entertain us. It can do all of those kinds of things and more. And you take a car into the garage, you just drive it in and take it apart piece by piece until you have every single part laid out in the garage. Now, you still have a car there, but is it going to take you anywhere? No. It's not taking you anywhere unless all the parts are working together. And it's the same way with the church. We can also see in this text how Paul mentions these specific people as gifts of Jesus to his church. You know, he talks about the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. I don't see that as an exhaustive list there. Paul's just giving a list. You know, Jesus gave these to His church. He gave other gifts to the church as well. He gave you and me. Do you ever think of yourself as a gift to the church from Jesus? That's what you are. 
When He saved you, He sent the power of His Holy Spirit into your heart and your life and He gave you spiritual gifts. That's what Scripture teaches us. And therefore, we become a gift to the greater body, a gift to the church. How will you be employed this week for the good of the church? Will it be prayer? Will it be service? Will it be giving? Will it be proclamation? Will it be learning? Will it be reaching out, teaching? On and on we could go. You, you get the idea. Now through the course of this passage, Paul has talked about three stages or aspects of Christian growth. The first is where faith as well as the knowledge of the Son of God combine to create unity in the soul. The second is personal maturity individual growth. And the third is the conformity of each member to the standard of Christ in whom all form one body. That is, until we attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we growing individually and are we growing together as God's congregation? And are we looking to the Holy Spirit and His power for the enablement that we need? We have to always remember whether we're talking about revitalization or spiritual growth or worship or missions or any other topic within the life of the church, we have to remember that the New Testament model emphasizes two major things. It emphasizes the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, but it emphasizes the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. As the old adage puts it, If you only emphasize the Word, you dry up. If you only emphasize the Holy Spirit, you blow up. But if you emphasize the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. That's the maturity. That's the growth we need to see in our own lives and in the life of the church. And may God bless us to that end, to His honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you again for the gift of the church made possible by the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for this picture of the church that we're given in this passage of Scripture today and how we're reminded of the unity that we have together in the faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. We thank you for the way that you've made us a family your children by your power. And we thank you at the same time for the way that you call us here in this text to lead a life worthy of the calling to which we've received. 
And so we pray that you'll help each heart here today to take a look at and evaluate what we are doing in our own spiritual lives. Help us to think about and and reflect upon our own time that we spend reading your word. Is it a lot of time? Is it very little? That we'll also reflect upon our prayer lives with you. Is prayer a natural response of our daily living? Or is it something we do at a set time never to do again? until that set time rolls around. Dear Father, help us to do that evaluation and help us to look to You and Your Word and Your Holy Spirit for the growth that we need in our lives and for the growth that we need in this place as we seek to be conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus. And dear Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word, for the freedoms that we enjoy in this land of opportunity. We thank you for your obvious blessings upon us. And we thank you for the gift of prayer for the way that your word tells us to continue to come to you consistently again and again and again. And dear Father, we do pray today uh, for those on our minds and hearts. We think of the Roach family and continue to pray uh, that you would comfort them and give them your peace in the midst of this tragedy and that you would also be with that father as he Uh, seeks to heal in the hospital and pray your blessings of healing power to be upon him. We also pray for those of our number who are recuperating from surgeries. We give you thanks for bringing them safely through. Uh, We pray for your healing power to be upon them. And we pray for those who are receiving treatments or will be receiving treatment soon for cancer. We pray for those to be effective. We do continue to pray for our high school graduates. We rejoice in their accomplishments and continue to pray for their spiritual growth. And may they make decisions that are in accord for your will for their lives. We are mindful of our men and women in the military and continue to pray for your safety uh, to be upon them and bring them safely back uh, to their homes and their families. We are thankful for our missionaries and for their willingness to go into other cultures and proclaim the good news of Christ in the power of His Spirit. We pray your safety for them and we do pray for protection for our brothers and sisters in the faith, especially uh, those who are being persecuted 
even now uh, for their faith. Dear Father, we know this is the vacation season and many are already traveling and we pray uh, for safe travels and for traveling mercies for all. And as always, we thank you for your provisions of grace unto us each and every day that your mercies are new each day. We pray that you would help us to open our eyes and our hearts and see those mercies for what they truly are each and every day. We continue to pray for this congregation. We pray for our associate pastor search committee, for our vision team. We pray for our session and diaconate for a women's ministries board and all those who make decisions here in this place just as we pray for our president and for Congress and for state legislature, our community uh, leaders, and we continue to ask for your wisdom to guide them all. And as always, we thank you for your presence in our midst this day, for each one who is here, and for the way in which you'll continue to help us in the days to come uh, to seek to lead the lives worthy of the calling you've given us. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We do want to reaffirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed printed in your bulletin. Let's stand together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our hymn of dedication can also be found in your red hymnals, number 319, the first tune, O for a Closer Walk with God.
the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.